Hello, and welcome to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. I'm Josh Chappell. Today, we'll be talking about current events in Magic, and, of course, talking about Gen Con. We haven't podcasted in a long time. How long has it been? It's been like, uh, I, what, six I months? I was thinking it was March, but I really didn't go back and look. I yeah, moved in that's April, not... and this is the first time podcasting from this poem of mine. Okay. I, yeah. I think that's right, because I that think sounds about we, right. we last podcasted in March, and then previously was in, like, November. <laughs> well, things have been busy, because all well, three really. of us have moved in that time. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that we could probably guarantee a podcast weekly if we were all independently wealthy. That would be great. I would. We should get a Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> we could promise potato salad. I hear that works. Yeah, yeah. in Columbus, too. no less. Yeah, right. Yay, Columbus. Good job. We haven't podcasted for a while. I think it's good to be back. You know, I, I always like talking to you guys. <laughs> How nice to see you again. Yeah. So uh, we, we did have a couple... Um, Interesting things go on in Vintage. I think the first thing we want to talk about is the... Uh, well, let's, let's talk about the change to the standard rotation and how that will impact Vintage. From what I gather, the, the basic idea is that they're cutting core sets out entirely. Which is a big change, in my opinion. Like, I'm I think surprised so, too, because I think I'm... a lot of us grew up on core sets. Yeah, that's sort of what I anchor around in Magic. Right. And yeah, even though core sets are kind of like... We all joke about getting core set packs and stuff like that. It does bring a couple of interesting cards into format. I mean, we got Young Pyromancer and stuff. I mean, the, the best cards of all time are from Corset. That's yeah. true. That's true. No, that's absolutely true. It's a shame that that's going away. Other people have had concerns about how is Wizards going to attract new players when they have to jump into advanced level sets rather than, you know, core sets, which are a little bit more basic. I mean, obviously Magic's still incredibly complex, so. And I, but I think that makes a difference. And so what's the change that they're making to the set rotation? So instead of having core set, they're going to have four quote-unquote advanced level sets per year, and they'll be divided into two blocks that are going to be two sets each. So basically they're replacing the core set with an extra block set. The implication for Vintage there is that potentially we could see more new cards per year just because we're looking at more advanced level cards per year. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. At the same time, sometimes the things that were interesting about core sets were sort of simplistic elements that were right. efficient and just worked well. Right. Like, things don't have to get super complicated to be good. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think that's part of the thing is that I'm not, I'm not sure that Vintage actually will see any more new cards per year than it has been. Like I said, we, you know, we have gotten good cards out of core sets, including Young Pyromancer and some other ones. I know um, Matt Hazard was looking around at Gen Con because there's a one-drop blue sorcery. Vapor Snare. He was psyched. Yeah, Vapor Snare. Yeah. <laughs> he was trying to get one, which, of course, is funny because it's, like, common. Like, you could go around and you could give somebody a dime for that and they'd be fine. Wait, what is Vapor Snare? It bounces a permanent. One blue sorcery bounces a permanent. He wanted it for a, a, a sideboard card because it's... Uh, um, Pretty, pretty efficient. Wow, is it really bounce a permanent? It no, it's not. Sorry, it's not bounce a permanent. I think it's bounce a non-land permanent. Okay, that, all right, that makes sense. Um, and that seems reasonable. I mean, that's that's a yeah, right. pretty straight up chain of vapor replacement if it's instant. Well, it's a it's a pretty straight up boomerang replacement too. <laughs> boomerang anyway, is so land. He was, he was looking for that, and I, I think that's what core sets give us. Is a lot of times they give us that sort of efficient. You know, this is what I need to do. 
sort of effect. Like, yeah. if you're looking for this only text on this card is what you want it to do, like, of course that will give it to you and it will be one mana cheaper because that's all it does. One of the things that people get really excited about as far as the new sets is that most of the time when you have a new set, it's going to have like a new keyword mechanic. Sure. And the fact that core sets don't have those means that it's sort of... Yeah, that's true. I'm assuming people are looking at it as sort of a boring design space. That's fair. So I don't know. I mean, some of the new like keywords and interactions are just so obnoxious. Oh, oh, <laughs> I, I agree entirely. I mean, obviously they're they're sort of grasping at straws as far as what they can do that's new. Didn't we go through and like retemplate every new keyword as like kicker or cycling oh, yeah. or something? Yeah, I think Ev- you, if, everything the, the is kicker. Was that you could retemplate everything as kicker in some form. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I mean, I I get that too. I mean, looking from a vintage perspective, how many keywords are actually relevant in vintage at all? I mean, it's, oh, only Storm. Um, yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> you look at the Transform cards, and there's one that's relevant, and I guess Huntmaster of the Fells. I was going to call you out on it if you didn't mention it. Yeah, well... Really? So, there, so there's one that's relevant, and that's Delver. Huntmaster um, gets played in, as like a one-of in those humans decks sometimes. Right. Even going back as far as Morph, and Morph is going to be in the new kinds of Karkir set, there really isn't a lot of call for morph in vintage like there's one card that i can think of that gets regular play or semi-regular play and that's void mage prodigy and i've never seen it morphed. i played him as a morph once sort because of as a joke two-two? yeah because oh. i needed it i needed the tutu and i was just like <laughs> playing a morph guess yeah. what that is right and i mean i i guess i played exalted angel at the last berea tournament but i didn't morph <laughs> it so 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 yeah, in general, could be more cards, but at the same time, I think that we're losing some design space as far as simplicity. So it'll be interesting to see how they take it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think probably they'll just put the simpler cards into the advanced level sets. Yeah. Yeah. They'll have to. Seems like it. Um, And I mean, we'll still have all of the supplementary products like the commander sets and plane chase and whatever all the other ones are. That's true. The other thing that we want to talk about is the Vintage Super League, and I think we're just going to sort of touch on this here. We might have more later as it develops and see how things pan out a little bit, because it well, really just started. Uh, honestly, we, we haven't talked since the MTGO Vintage development at all, and right. the Vintage Super League is sort of the cap on what has been, at least for me, a very unexpected spotlight on Vintage that That's came true. with its release. Like, I see all sorts of notable, magical people playing Vintage and talking about Vintage that yeah. they never would have been talking about this if they didn't have access to it on MTGO. Yeah, I, I know that part of it is, like, a lot of these people are streaming Vintage and things like that, and I mean, the problem with that is, like, I personally just don't have a lot of time to watch Vintage online. I, I think that, I mean, we don't, but yeah. the people, yeah, no, I, I, I think it's cool if awesome. the fact that they're streaming it means that people are watching it. Right. And the fact that people are watching it means that there are people who want them to stream it, and both of those are pretty awesome. Yeah, and I, I will say that since Vintage has been released online, like we've gotten a lot more people to come out to Fog at Dusk on Monday nights and you know try out Vintage. Like We've had several groups of players come regularly or semi-regularly or, and give it a shot. And it's just more people are open to interacting instead of, oh, I'm here for draft, I'm going to do my draft. They're like, <laughs> oh, hey, what do you guys do? Oh, vintage, cool. And, the, you know, they'll sit down and you can say, you know, we have this big box of decks that if you want to try it out, you can play or whatever. 
Yeah, they, I mean, people often say that the biggest barrier of people getting interested in Vintage is that dismissal because it's a turn one format. Right. And with tons of video evidence around that that's not the case, I think that can only do good things for us. Right. And we had, uh, so last week, for example, there was a kid who was probably 13 or so. I'm not very good with ages like that. But anyway, he sat down and his dad was there and that kid was playing against me and his dad leaned over and he said, so is it fast? And his son was <laughs> like, well, no, not really. And I mean, we were on turn, we were easily on turn five or six of the game because we were both playing sort of blue control decks. And mm-hmm. I don't think we played any games that were so lopsided that it was unfun, really. I don't know. But, you know, I, I, I hope that people continue to play. And like I said, I, I think a lot of that comes from people seeing it on MTGO or playing it on MTGO and wanting to try and get into it. I think the problem maybe you run into with it not being as interactive as people think is like, you know, you have archetypes like workshops, like Dredge, and if you're not prepared for them and you don't have a game plan, you're going to have to right. plan. Right. So well, I mean, it's it's just like any other game of Magic where half of what you're doing to win is in preparation and, and metagame analysis. Sure. You have to be prepared for those matchups. Any format is like that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you have to learn before you... You can't go into any format, really, without knowing anything about it. I mean, you can try, and right. unless you're playing it works sometimes, but... I think that the Vintage Super League is an awesome idea. I don't know for sure, but it seems like Randy Bueller is the guy kind of spearheading everything. So Yeah, as far as I know, this is Randy Bueller's brainchild. So he's invited nine other Vintage players, or nine other Magic players, rather, and uh, he has tried to get sort of a cross-section of, well, actually, he's, he's trying to get the cream of the crop as far as Magic players goes. And he has gotten Steve Menendian and Rich Shea as sort of vintage representatives. He's got Chris Piccolo, who's obviously meddling mage himself, and Pro Player has also played a lot of vintage. Like, he definitely knows what's going on. The, the rest is just like a laundry list of pros. So yeah. he's got LSV, Eric Frilich, Tom Martell, Josh Utter-Layton, David Williams, and Bob Marr. And Randy's playing himself. So, I mean, you have Pro Tour champs, Hall of Famers, BT Top 8, Players of the Year. I mean, you have... It's a pretty good list uh, of people. Yeah, the star power here is phenomenal. (laughs) Well, and I I think that there's a fair amount of people on here that their first claim to fame may not be vintage Magic player, but still have plenty of knowledge and experience of playing vintage. Yeah, Yeah, I know LSV and uh, David Williams, Bob Marr, all of them have played vintage before regularly. Obviously, when you're looking at some of the old school players, I mean, like Randy Bueller, like he would have cut his teeth on vintage when it was still just magic. So (laughs) just the idea of having it there and having that sort of popularity, popularity of those people playing is just going to be immensely helpful to vintage as long as they're into it and are willing to represent it as a fun, playable format. I've got to say, just as an aside, because I think this is hilarious, that it's amazing that Dave Williams was playing his match against, was it Steve? Yeah. 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 At a professional poker tournament, just with the laptop on the table as he was playing both games. Yes. Yeah, right. Steve still took longer to resolve every spell. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I guess that's the good and bad thing about Magic Online is, you know, you don't have the slow play rules of, like, playing in person, which is good and bad, but, I mean, it's... Well, I mean, with MTGO, Steve's free to eat his clock. How That was pretty pointed. I guess that was kind of... um, Anyone who plays on MTGO is free to use their clock as they wish. So 
Yeah, I mean, clock management is a skill that you need to learn on MTGO. Well, I mean, the Vintage Super League, they gave each player 60 minutes so they didn't run out of time. How long Mm. is normal? So, like, the idea was to make sure that all the games were finished. Normal MTGO clock is 25 minutes per person. Uh, Oh, wow. Is that is that over all three games, or is that per person per game? No, total, all three games, 25 minutes each. Okay. I, I did not realize that they changed the timing rules on that. Yeah. So, because normal rounds are 50 minutes, and that includes right, shuffling so up and all that stuff. So, so in Vintage, they're giving them 120 minutes, and that. And this is only the Super League, and they only did it for like recording purposes in case like they ran into because the games are on Magic Online. So if oh. they do like a recording issue and they're like pause for 20 minutes, it didn't like. Sure. Go. That's interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, so don't take five minutes to resolve a brainstorm. Or do, because you have 55 minutes left. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Well, it's dead airtime, I think. The the other thing that's good about this is we get the brains of these people working on vintage and being able to talk through some of the plays they make. I know that we were talking earlier about Rich Shea being one of, one of the I, most technically correct players that yeah. we watch. And having him, you know, play a game, talk about what's going on, that sort of thing, observe games and talk about what's going on. I mean, that's just immensely helpful for people. Like, that's an well, tool. And I think the one thing, the area currently where the Vintage League lacks is you can't see either player's hand. Right. Which is a kind of a logistical issue. And they did mention that they have some ideas on how to solve that going forward. Right. And going forward, you may have the people commenting on the games, and you may be able to see both players' hands, which will make plays make a lot more sense. Yeah. It doesn't seem like you can make any judgments about whether a play is correct or not without knowing the information that they have on what their next play is going to be. Right. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I don't know. And from the other side of you, it's also kind of sweet to see someone play and like have try and guess what's in their hand. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. Overall, I think it's awesome because you know people are putting in this time and effort just to have a good time and play games. So sure, that's right. Do they get to change decks at all, or are they locked in? I've only listened to the, the intro stream, and I'm pretty sure that Randy Bueller set it up so that you could change decks every two weeks. So you you had to basically you'd play two matches with one deck, and then you could switch. Interesting. Um, I, I think that's right. It it might have been three. I know you could change after some point. I think that that makes me really interested to see what people change into right. after the first round. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the first round is pretty heavy on uh, Merfolk. Yeah, right. Three out of the ten players are playing Merfolk, which is a high percentage for a normal vintage metagame. Bust out 12 or 16 Blast Dot deck? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mono Red. We yeah. play uh, Painter. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting. I think being able to change decks also lets you metagame a little bit differently, too, because you'll know who you're going to play against and what they played the last time. Are they going to change up? Are they not? Are you going to change up? Right. It gives you some extra things to game, which I think is interesting with this group. So did anyone have a prediction of who's going to win? Personally, I would probably put it on Rich. I, I think Rich is a good choice. I think, I think my vote is probably Rich or LSB. Yeah, I was, I was thinking, we were, we were talking about it a little bit, I think uh, LSV has a pretty good shot, too. I know he's played a lot of Vintage as well. Hasn't done it as regularly, but he, I know he's played a lot of Vintage, and obviously his 
but play skill is very high. So yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a very proficient magic player, and he's a very lucky magic player. Right. <laughs> Good combination. But honestly, I think any one of these guys could do it. Chris Piccula obviously plays a lot of vintage now. He's been a pro player for a long time. I mean, Menendian really has the vintage edge as far as he probably still plays more vintage than anyone else on the list. Maybe Rich Shea, but. I mean, really, there's there's a lot of people there who could win. There's a lot of magic experience in general on that right. on that bracket. Right. Yeah, but anyway, the uh, the Vintage Super League is on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Pacific time, so that's 10 p.m. Eastern on Twitch.tv/slash Randy Bueller. So you guys can look that up. We can just talk about Gen Con now, right? I think yeah. we can. Yeah, because there's nothing I like more than reliving Gen Con every Man, year. Man, where do we even start on this? You know, I did not hear anything about what happened on Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, I'm, did I'm, anything happen? I'm going to try and remember what happened. I don't... At Wednesday, I was at work. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that. that on Wednesday and Thursday, we just sort of ate things and demoed <laughs> like games. Like you found on the street or what? Yeah, yeah. We just sort of ate things that we found on the street, walked around a decent a bit, and at least on Thursday, I think the entire day was consumed by cruising the event hall, which was a lot bigger this year. Yeah, the event hall is huge this year. Yeah, I, I think that we spent almost all day there on Thursday and still got only through about half to two-thirds of it. Yeah, I, I don't think I saw the whole event hall. I think I, I saw about half. Yeah. I flew in on Thursday and took a ride straight to the event hall, and that's where I met up with some people and played some games, and it was sweet. Yeah, we ended up demoing a couple of games. I, I think that my Gen Con lesson that I learned this year was just don't mess with miniature games. <laughs> yeah. It's just like you you start talking to that guy and you're going to spend an hour there. Right. And he is just going to bombard you with a thousand different rules. Well, so what was the game that you guys played that took so long? Because I've heard, I heard um, you guys talking. About well, there were two games that took a ton of... Well, all right. So the first one was... I can't remember. It was Infinity something, and the guy told us that it was based on the Firefly universe, and we had, like, two factions that were facing off in sort of like an urban warfare setting. He just started throwing rules out on us. So this to do this is this plus this minus this and this, and then you roll a d20, and if it's over that, in this case, it succeeds. However, if it's an armor roll, you need to roll under that, and we're just like... Whoa! But but you guys stuck around for the entire demo. No, and oh, we okay. we did we did one turn and 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 we were like, I think we got the idea. <laughs> How much is this game? Oh, never mind. Yeah, n- not gonna do this. That was a pretty bad experience, but it was a fairly short bad experience. Right. And then we went over to the Hordes versus War Machine demo. Uh-huh. And Hordes versus War Machine. War Machine is this miniatures game. It seems to be like sort of small gang combat. And then Hordes is War Machine is very you know mecha stuff. And then Hordes is sort of like monstery stuff. And they can fight against each other. Basically, you just have teams and they can go up against each other. The game sort of can interoperate. So, so is it like like Warhammer 40k. Yeah. Regular Warhammer and in smaller groups. Yeah. Okay. And so Jerry and CJ play. Trolls versus werewolves, basically. And there were, I think, five models on the little playing area for each team. 
Was Jerry the Trolls? Jerry was indeed the Trolls. It was very yeah, appropriate. I, I think we knew that. Yeah. Getting through just them taking down... Jerry eventually ended up, I think, losing, and it took an hour and 15 minutes to finish up just, like, five models versus five models, because it was just roll, 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 and I was like, wow, this is really time-consuming. This is the sort of thing, and and I think that this comes back to um, there are a couple of different kinds of games that people play, especially at Gen Con. There are lifestyle games, and then there are sit-down games. So yeah, like sure. when when you play Hordes versus War Machine, you have your group, and you are looking for someone else that has a group to play against. You want someone that is already interested in the game, knows how to play the game. You can sit down and do right. your battle. Right. You don't just like someone comes over and you're like, hey, we got some time to waste. Do you want to play Hordes versus War Machine? Which is very different from something like Spartacus, where right. the game is a little bit complex, but you can sit down easily, teach someone who doesn't know the game, and then have a good time out of it. Yeah, right. Yeah, I've, I've had good luck with Spartacus. So earlier this summer, I went to a sort of a college reunion. We rented a house in, in the Hocking Hills, and we went out there and mostly just hung out and played games the entire time. And I know that Spartacus is a popular one with that group because it's like all of the turns are pretty much the same cycle. The cards are all pretty easy to understand. You don't have to roll dice all the time. I mean, like, you know, a lot of it does come down to... It's, it's there's a game. Some, there's some amount of storytelling, and then whoever is sort of running the game can say, yeah, all right, that works. Whatever you <laughs> want to do, that's fine, cool. You can abandon the rules a little bit if you need to. Not necessarily game with games with more rules. You need right. games with less rules. Yeah, I, and I think that there's sort of a movement for... All right, nerds love to codify things. Yeah. And so when they're designing games and stuff like that, I feel like there's this trend to really heavily rule monger everything. Right. Well, that's, that's, I was sort of thinking a lot of it is how much bookkeeping you want to do. Yeah. How many times playing this game am I going to actually have to look at the rule book? I want it to be zero times. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst break in flow is right. I have to look that up. Right. That game that Eric and I played, was that Star Realms? Star Realms, probably. It's like a fast-paced one. Oh, play. no, no, no. It's, that's the one that everyone was real psyched about. No, yeah, that's, that's the, the Ascension in Space, what, but what, better. What's the one that you were sitting there falling asleep? Oh, that one. Race for the Galaxy? Yeah, Race for the Galaxy. Yeah, I was going so, into a coma during that. Yeah, I was too. <laughs> I was playing the game. But, so with that game, Eric had played it once before. I had never played it before. And so he was sort of teaching me how to play. What it came down to was like none of the cards had text on them. Everything was a little tiny icon that I constantly had to look up what all the icons meant. And they were combining icons to make new icons that weren't explained because apparently you can just figure that out on your own. <laughs> and it was one of the worst gaming experiences I've ever had because it was just like, this is not intuitive at all. I mean, like, I, I've played a lot of games. I know how a lot of these things work. And this one was just like, I don't know. These, yeah. these colors match. These, these these colors match. That's my turn. I'm done. I've got to say that build a monster game was, like, 20 times better than the experience that I got watching you guys play Race for the Galaxy. Absolutely. Build a Monster game, the game for children, excellent game. I really kind of want to buy that game. Me too. (laughs) If I didn't already have Le Petit Prince, I would probably buy it. Ah, yes, Le Petit Prince. Yeah, so I I mean, I, I always like trying out the games. I think the best game that I played was on the last day. It was like just before we were about to leave, I played a game of Fortune and Glory 
which was like a 1930s serial action movie game. Oh, okay. Like like Indiana Jones. Yeah. Only 1930s. There's a blimp that's dropping off Nazis, and you're like a treasure hunter, and you're like going around the world trying to recover lost relics. There's a lot of dice rolling, which is not something I'm always a fan of, but as long as they don't expect you to do really crazy things with the dice, like you have to roll four sixes on five dice or something like that. But yeah, so it's, all of the dice rolls were reasonable. I felt like, you know, everything was attainable that I tried to roll for. And I think that made a big difference. And it did have a lot of good storytelling as far as, you know, the cards, the plots that came up, different events that happened. Because you'd get a card that would say, boat chase. And you'd be like, oh, okay, so you have to roll four or better to get to the boat chase. I'm like, cool, yeah, I'm, I'm in a boat chase. So, <laughs> I don't know, it was, it was fun to me. I got it. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a... I don't usually play much games outside of Magic, really, but I mean, yeah. I play every year at Gen Con, and I think the the best game I played was pretty fast-paced. I don't remember what it's called, but it was also about, like, World War II, and it was you're recovering the pieces of artwork that the Nazis stole. So you're, oh, like, cool. being a spy, you're buying intel, you're, like, bluffing. It's a bluffing game to put down your cards, and it was pretty fast. It was pretty easy. It was, like, 20 bucks, which is reasonable. I guess the only downside is that it seems to be the the new thing is, oh, I'd like to buy this game, and it's like, oh, well, this is the test copy. We're starting uh, Kickstarter next week, and you can buy it in two years. I think that Kickstarter has made a fundamental change to Gen Con. Yeah. There were a lot of booths there that were just like, I have a Kickstarter. Yeah, we, we don't have anything to tell you. Yeah. We have a Kickstarter and a cool idea. And I think that that's okay, but yeah. at a certain point, well, I mean, Gen Con always has its winners and losers, and I feel like I can always count on Kickstarter to be a fresh stream of losers. <laughs> well, it'd be kind of cool if they did that in, like, a separate area. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I could see I that. that uh, although I wonder, I mean, then you'd have a lot of Kickstarter people competing directly with each other rather than just, like, hanging out in the main hall. You know, but, welcome, welcome to the free market. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. But I think it'd be cool if you sort of put them all in a room together and, you know, you could go in there with that idea like, oh, okay, I'm going to... I'm in the Kickstarter room, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to try out some new games and see if anyone has any cool ideas and, you know, see what people are talking about. Because then you would also get some of those people out of the main hall and get some of the crowd out of there, too. Speaking of out of the main hall, I totally never knew that Rio Grande Games had a different room. Oh, yeah. Like, everyone, a lot of the big game companies have their own room. Totally news to me. We, we just never go there because in previous Gen Cons, we're always like, I'm going to play more Magic. Yeah, what a mistake. Yeah, right. Can't play too much Magic at Gen Con. Yeah, it's sort of funny that you guys, with those two games that you played that were your favorites, um, it sort of speaks to the size of the event hall that I totally did not see those at all. Yeah, right. Well, you know, the, the, the other cool one that I saw was Sales of Glory which is a 17th and 18th century sailing warship game. <laughs> you actually had the little models, so when you, when you were talking about the miniature games, I was thinking, oh, this this actually went pretty fast. But, you know, you have a big map that has a wind gauge on it, so you know where the wind is coming from, and you're moving your, your ship around according to the wind, and you have maneuver cards that you actually have to plot cards in advance because, you know, you're an old warship, so yeah. it's not like you can turn on a dime. <laughs> But that was actually, I, I watched a battle of that. There was one ship against one ship. And I guess that's 
not uncommon for it. I think you, you could also do multiple shifts. Uh-huh. But it was pretty interesting, and it, it went pretty quickly, and the, the two guys who were playing were pretty into it. And the ships were maneuvering well enough that you could, you know, try and cut someone off or, you know, come across behind them and fire shots into their stern and stuff like that. And it was actually pretty interesting. I mean, they seemed to cover a lot of the tactics that you'd actually have to consider when you were back in those days. But I'm beginning actually, to think that maybe my big mistake was trying to do the event hall with Jerry and CJ rather than you guys. Eh, I mean, it's, I mean, I was by myself and I, like, I wasn't doing it with anyone. It's a lot easier to just, you know, stop and watch if someone's, yeah, I guess that's true. Something's going on. Like I stopped and watched a Spartacus game because I could see that they were coming up on the arena phase and I was like, I'm just going to watch the arena phase. We were hoping so I watched the guy get beheaded. We were hoping that they would have Spartacus promos to give out to people who demoed. Oh, so yeah. the three of us sat down at the demo table and the woman was like, I remember demoing for you guys last year. Yeah. And we were like, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, last year we had to pay for them. Like, I think last year the promos were 10 bucks. They didn't have any new promos for this year, yeah. and I ended up – I bought Spartacus this year, and if you bought oh, the, you? the combo pack of the core set and the expansion, you got the promos for free. Yeah. Those promos, they're heinous. Yeah, they're pretty good. Like, the promo gladiators are – Significantly better than the other gladiators. Yes. Yes. Well, I, I think it's it's more interesting now that there's more promos because they come up more regularly and you you end up having them fight against themselves rather. Yeah, I think that that's the best yeah, way to do it. They're just beating the crap out of other gladiators. Yeah, I showed the game to my wife and my wife's sister and her <laughs> husband last Friday. They really liked it, but we only had one promo gladiator come up, and yeah. he just beat the tar out of everyone. <laughs> He still ended up losing, but my, what is he, my brother-in-law? He did not end up winning, despite the fact that he had the best dude. Well, I mean, that's, that's not that, and that's, that's not a direct line to winning the game. Yeah, exactly. The one game that I, I didn't get to play a lot of that I really wanted to, Sentinels of the Multiverse. Yeah, because we just got burned out. <laughs> well, that was really awful. We tried another game. <laughs> that, that one was just abnormal. <laughs> I don't know how you could do the moon base without, I guess that you could do the moon base, <laughs> Mars base, without absolute zero doing absolute nothing. He, yeah, I, I think I'm Alright, so you should probably explain what Sentinels of the Multiverse is. Yeah, you're okay. speaking a different language. Sorry, well, so Sentinels of the Multiverse is a cooperative superhero game. All of the players take on the characters of superheroes and they have all the superheroes have a deck that's specifically for them. The way that works is all of the superheroes are different. Like all of them have a different feel when you play their deck. So there's one called Tachyon. She's sort of like the Flash. So her deck sort of mills itself, puts itself in the graveyard. You draw a bunch of cards, and then you have you know sort of a big attack at the end. And then there's Bunker, who is I guess, sort of like Iron Man, and so he has to to build up. To, to power up his suit during the game. So he actually has different modes that he goes into. So he has recharge mode and upgrade mode and then turret mode, which is where you can, you know, have all your guns online and you play extra cards per turn and you can do a lot of damage and stuff like that. So all of them are a little bit different. Jeff was playing. The only guy know. rated as difficult in difficulty to play. Right. So Jeff was playing Absolute Zero, who is sort of like the dirtily character. Like <laughs> if you like if you like sitting around with your friends as they play a game, that's he's a good choice. That's exactly what I did. Absolutely oh, nothing. And, and they and were like, so, Jeff, are you ever gonna do anything? No, nope, <laughs> I'm just gonna watch. Yeah. 
So, so absolute zero in a larger game is actually useful because he can soak up a lot of damage. He'll just sort of sit there and take damage, and he can heal himself. As long as he finds the right equipment to do so, which it took me damage and be fine. Which it took me twenty turns to do. Right. And other than that, like he doesn't. He's not a very offensive character. Like he doesn't deal damage. Yeah. And Um, and basically, what we found, we were fighting a bad guy on a Mars base, and the Mars base seemed to be in constant catastrophic failure to the point where we were constantly catching fire or being asphyxiated or something that was killing us. Yeah, there were definitely multiple meteor storms going on. And if we had had three people that were able to deal damage, we probably could have actually, like, blitzed through, what was that guy's name? Uh, Baron Blade. Baron Blade. Yes, he was we're, going we're to use. The villain Baron Blade. He, he was going to make the moon crash into the Earth, taking a page out of Archimedes' book. Right. And because he, he set up his base on Mars and found yeah. a place to stand to use his lever. Yeah, and we would have been able to to burn through him if we had had three people that were capable of putting out. But I yeah, am not I, capable I think, of putting out. I think out. basically, if we had an extra player or one more effective player, I think we would have been okay. Yeah. Because yeah. we needed people to deal with the base, the actual setting, the Mars base, and then we needed people to deal with the villain, and we didn't quite have enough people. Yeah, we ended up basically a turn short, and so right. the moon crashed into the Earth. Oops. And we all died. We did. But that game has just been... We played that 10 or 12 times at a college reunion weekend I went to, and it was constant fun the entire time. Yeah, I, I'd because like to give it another like shot. Because we seven people playing, too. So. Yeah. I, I think always... The, the more other games, the more games not magic that I play at Gen Con, the more fun <laughs> I have. Well, do we want to talk about magic? Yeah, sure. All right. There was only one scheduled event going into this that was on Friday, and that was Vintage for... I don't even remember what the prize was. I think it was a From the Vault 20. Oh, yeah. There there was... Second place was From the Vault 20. Sam won that. Yeah, Yeah. the first place was, I think, From the Vault 20, From the Vault Realms, and From the Vault Exile. I think it it was definitely, like, entry into the Gen Con champs. I don't know what else. Yeah. Well, I, I know you got. I think you got at least two other from the vaults. I don't yeah. remember. What yeah, you got three from the vaults. I don't remember the exact specific okay. ones, and then entry into the champs. Overall, I think that people were not entirely psyched on the reward there, but uh, well, I mean, the reward is cool, and I, I think you, you get the feeling that most of the people playing vintage at Gen Con are there to play vintage. Exactly. The prize really doesn't matter because obviously we continue to play even though they keep giving us packs of Corsa. Well, I, I did not enter the event. There was a pack of dudes that were just rallying people to do vintage Winnebox. That's true. All day, all night. And they actually got a couple of them firing. Right. And pastimes, because a lot of people had complained during the vintage event that there was no other vintage going on, that they scheduled two more events on Saturday and Sunday. Saturday, which I would rather play it in the Saturday event than the Friday event, they were doing a... Vintage for a foil uncut uncommon sheet from Modern Masters, which seems pretty right. cool. Right, and second place was foil uncut commons from Modern Masters. Yeah, yeah. And then I think that the vintage on Sunday was this the standard 
Sunday, the Sunday morning vintage four rounds for packs. Yeah, four zero gets a box. It, it was sort of funny to me that they scheduled the Saturday and the Sunday events during the Friday event. Yeah, at that and, point, while we were in the Friday event, I was like, I really had only mentally prepared myself for playing one day okay. of vintage. Yeah. And I try to stay away from just, like, slogging through many, many hours. I mean, we've definitely done right. that before at Gen Con, played in yeah. two or three tournaments, and that's that's a mental treadmill. Right. Well, they, I mean, when they asked about the, the Saturday and Sunday tournaments at the beginning of, what, the second round? Yeah. They're like, okay, vintage players, we have some potential other events for you. Who would like to play on Saturday and Sunday? And everyone raised their hand, and I was like, uh, I guess. <laughs> it wasn't that I didn't want the events to happen or anything. Yeah, that's like, the thing, is I, I wanted the events to happen, but I didn't want to play in them. Yeah, I like vintage a lot, but... I definitely, on the certain timetable that I was on, I mean, I got there just in time for the Friday vintage event, so I, I missed Wednesday and Thursday. So getting there on Friday, like, I didn't want to spend two out of three days playing vintage. Definitely. I mean, I played all of my vintage games, pickup games in the Magic right. Hall and yeah. Magic. Yeah, we had a good time. Yeah, right. I love playing vintage, but, I mean, I also want to hang out at Gen Con because I like other things. Yeah. So uh, going into this, Nat and I had a family reunion that was a, like a week before Gen Con, mm-hmm. and this was when we made a wager because uh, wager. We, it was a gentleman's <laughs> wager. It was. There, there was no money on it. Support for Vintage has been a little bit less at Gen Con. I mean, obviously the Champs has gone. Last year they had a, a high-profile event for the uncut sheet of Antiquities. This year it was it was certainly smaller, and so we were sort of going over-under on 40 people attending the right. event, and I was right. under because I apparently am a super pessimist. <laughs> and that was over, and right. turned out to be way over. Okay, way over is sort of a... It was 83, wasn't it? 63. Oh. Yeah, 63. Well, yeah, that's still 150%. Right. If I thought it was going to be 80, I would have set the over-under at 60. So. <laughs> well, um, I, I mean, we didn't say how big it was going to be. I was expecting right. like 50 max... So I was I, I was I, pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I think 50 is about what I was expecting, and I was pleased to get 63. It's kind of disappointing that we didn't have a couple more so that we could have an extra round, I guess. But, yeah, we did have a decent turnout. And I, I think the – I mean, other than that, it was, you know, the great usual Gen Con vintage experience. And, you know, what you get there is, like I said, you get vintage players who are there just to play vintage. Yeah. And everyone's really excited about it. Everyone's real friendly. Like, Everyone has been coming to Gen Con for a while, so they're all like, you know, seeing people that they saw last year at Gen Con, and that's the only time they ever see them and stuff like that. Like, Nat losing to Steven Stearman again. Yeah, absolutely. I, I am now 0, 1, and 2 against, or 0, 2, and 1, rather. But yeah, so I mean, Steven Stearman's there. He was playing humans again, and he beat me in round one. But it was, I mean, it was good. Like we, you know, we sat down and you know said, "Hey, caught up a little bit and played our match." And yeah, it's kind of fun. Like, who cares? I'm I'm there to play vintage and hang out and have fun. So, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I walked around and, and watched a lot of right. people playing, and when I saw you playing against him and resolve a balance, killing yeah. one of his creature and taking like four or five cards out of his hand, I thought <laughs> sure you were gonna win. Yeah. Did you win well, that game? Um, I think I did. It was a close match. I mean, the, everything was close. I was playing Bomberman. I mean, I felt good about it. Like, I, I didn't, I wasn't really prepared for that kind of aggro onslaught. But sure. 
I mean, my usual plan against that would just be to try and combo out, and I wasn't able to do that. So. You got more right. of the aggro onslaught in your next round. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. But anyway, so I was playing against him, and had answers in the board. I didn't really have a lot of anti-aggro in the main deck. Like, I didn't have main deck swords or anything like that, but I did have balance. That I mean, that, that's always a good, reliable go-to card for <laughs> against aggro. It did work against him. It was close in the first two games that we played. You know, in the first game, if it had gone a little bit differently, I think I would have won. Second game, I did win because I was able to combo. And game three was similar to game one. Like, it, it really could have just gone either way, just depending on what I was drawing or not. So it was close. But, yeah, then it, the humans keeps winning against me. Yeah, that deck is real. Um, yeah, I think good. that a lot of people are, are quick to dismiss it, but Synergistic Dude Sweats is legit. <laughs> I like that as the name for it. <laughs> synergistic Dude Sweats? Yeah. It's tricky because I think part of it is that, you know, you can't counter anything because they have Cavern of Souls. Like, I was boarding out Force of Will because what am I going to do with it? Yeah. That like, card is a house. A I mean, like, at least if I play Mana Drain, I can maybe get some mana back. Mm-hmm. It's, it's tough to combat, and you do have to fight against it pretty quickly. Like, he can put a sizable force on the board. And other things have variable utility. I mean, some things are good. I mean, Thalia is always going to be good. And yeah. Some of the other cards are a little iffy, but it gets there for it sure. It gets there, exactly. So what did you play in round one, Jeff? Yeah. I sat down with my opponent, and he actually lives in Akron with a couple of his friends. Hopefully we'll see them around because they seem very motivated to play Vintage. I was playing the same Bugfish list that won Bazaar of Moxen last year. Uh-huh. I really liked the deck. It had a really greedy mana base, but in general yeah. well, it came Bug, together pretty Bug well. Bug was a contender all weekend. Like yeah, was, yeah. There, like that there, won both Friday and, there was or, yeah, Bug Friday and Saturday. Everywhere. There was a lot of Bug, and yeah. Bug Tempo deck seemed yeah. very... Yeah. And, yeah. and if you weren't playing Bug Tempo or Bug Control, I was like, Bug Oath was good. Yeah. So I was, you know, I think I played... Deathrite Shaman on turn one and felt really pretty good about it. And then he goes, turn one, Dark Ritual. I was like, all right, uh, we're playing against combo. And then he's like, Vampire Nighthawk. I'm like, 3-2 Flying Death Touch Lifelink? Did what? he tell you nice Deathrite noob? What do I do about that? Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I just die. <laughs> he, he was playing Kitchen Sink Tribal Vampires. Kitchen Table. No, it was the kitchen sink, as in oh. every single vampire in the kitchen sink oh. <laughs> was in that deck. I, I, he just rolled over me in game one, and then <laughs> I, I couldn't do anything about it. Like, I eventually got a Trigon Predator out, and it's just like, oh yeah, that thing's 3-2, my thing is 2-3, we can just infi block, right? Oh no, it has Death Touch. Yeah, no, they're two, they're both two threes. <laughs> oh, whatever. Anyway. But he just I, has death touch, you're right. I died. Yeah. He he played a vampire every turn, and I had to read every single vampire that he played. <laughs> and then he just rolled over me. I ended up citing out forces and just citing in a ton of spot removal. And right. games two and three were basically, he would play a dude, I would kill it. He would play a dude, I would kill it. Until I got Dark Confidant online, and then just... Then you could kill two dudes. At and the then I could outdraw him. I'm pretty sure that that deck could probably be legit if he played Duress and or Thoughtseize. I was thinking, well, okay, so the funny thing is I played against him in round two. <laughs> yeah. After after having lost round one, I played against Kitchen Sink Vampires as well. I was talking to him, like, where is he from? And 
he was like, oh, I'm from Akron. And I was like, oh, we have tournaments up in Berea and Columbus. And he was like, yeah. And my opponent last round told me that. And I was like, oh, you remember who it was? And he's like, yeah. The later on, he was like, I don't even remember how it came up. He was like, did you play against Jeff Mose? Yeah. Like, that's my cousin. Yeah. So, anyway, I really do hope they come out because he was excited about the format. And although, I mean, I don't know if he. I mean, getting crushed in two rounds. Well, I, I, uh, well, you're, I mean, your rounds actually, your, your match actually sounds like it would have, was close, and I think you're right that if you, you had, had a combo finish that right. he had yeah. no way if, to interact with. But if, if his deck had had, like you said, duress, if it had Thoughtseize, if it had Dark Confidant, if it had Cavern of Souls, like if his vampires were also uncounterable. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, that's probably an all right deck. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Turn the deck like that into Dark Depths and be pretty yeah. competitive. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I think it's like I, I, I extracted him in game two and the cards that he was playing there were definitely like the vampires that he had on hand like he even had a singleton Sanger vampire in there which was baller but it was revised too i was encouraging him to come out because like i mean we play unlimited proxy and obviously like he's playing what he has and there's a huge difference in the power level that I'm playing and the power level that he's playing, and I don't right. want that to be there, which is why we we do unlimited proxy to level the playing field. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I well, like you said, I had a combo finish, so playing against him, it was like, all I, I, I needed to do was survive long enough and then combo. And then, of course, since you're playing Bomberman combo, it's like he's never seen that before, and you have to run through it. <laughs> and you feel like a real jerk showing that to someone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, here I go, all right, I'm going to get this back, and I'm going to get this mana, and I'm going to make a billion mana. He's like, all right, I'm going to do it again, and I'm going to get different colors of mana now, too. And he's like, okay, what are you going to do with it? Like, all right, I'm going to play Trinket Mage, okay? I'm going to go to Aether Spellbomb, okay? That's an excruciating, I mean, it's not like, it's not like playing 10 spells and here's my 10 spells, kill you. Yeah, it's... You can't do anything about this. I'm just going to go through the long, drawn-out process of killing you. Yeah. But yeah, so my games against him were mostly like stay alive and then combo. Yeah. I did not sideboard against him because I felt it would be unsporting. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. I I feel bad winning against that just because this is sanctioned vintage. And he's playing a non-optimal vintage deck. Right. And that's... Well, he's not playing a vintage deck. Right, right. <laughs> At the same time, we had a lot of fun with our games, and he seemed very psyched to kill me in the first game, because he said nice. that he was not expecting to win a game in this tournament. <laughs> and he wins game one, match one, game one? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Well, it's funny, because, like, if things had gone worse for you, like, he easily could have won that match. No, no, I agree. Um, He was basically... <laughs> and, he, and he probably could have beaten me, too. <laughs> I got lucky early on with pulling... In game two, I wasted, I drew a wasteland, and I didn't think I was gonna get a waste him, but he played one of those, uh, taps for colorless or taps for both colors if you control a swamp, and I was oh, able yeah. to waste that, and it kept him off of six drops, and at the end of the game, he had like four six drops that would have just <laughs> annihilated me in his hand. Well, and, it was funny, cause in our game two, he played a rest on my, uh, Ariac Salvagers. Because that was what I beat him with in game one. Stop activated abilities? Yes, it does. Oh, okay. And, and he's like, I'm going to play a rest. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to spell Pierce Dance. <laughs> <laughs> like, because I have to. Yeah. I, I didn't know if that arrest was like a can attack, can't block. Only. Well, it's also that. So. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, it was an interesting match. I really, I really hope we see more of him and more people like him. Yeah. 
I find that the the hardest part of that is like actually getting to those people. Like casual groups, it's they're impossible to communicate with unless they start looking for you. Yeah. Which makes sense. Craigslist. Yep, it's worked before. So in my round three, I played against Bugfish. It ended up being the winner from Saturday's tournament, which I thought was interesting. But we had a sort of close game one, although he pretty much had the upper hand. And then game two lasted probably 40 minutes. Geez, stop slow playing that. It, no, it was not me. Like, we were going back and forth. I think about 20 minutes into the game, I think I may have had the opportunity to try and put him away, but I wasn't aggressive enough. And then I think about 10 minutes later, he had the opportunity to put me away, <laughs> but I was able to get out of it. Another 10 minutes, and, and I was finally able to win. It was a grueling match, and we started game three pretty much in turns. I should have mulliganed harder in game three because I'm the only one who can win that. I mean, I, I think I'm the only one who can win a game in five turns between those two decks. The bug deck takes forever. Yeah, like I, I, I needed to try and find my combo. And I didn't. I mean, I, I kept a hand that was I knew was going to draw the game, basically. And he, so he drew, and he asked for the concession, and I was like, yeah, that's fine. You got it. <laughs> I don't care. The 40-minute game, too, really took it out of me. It's just like, I'm, I'm going to go hang out. So. Yeah. Well, we started at 1 o'clock, which was pretty awesome as far as, like, I stayed up until 4 a.m. the previous night, so I actually got some sleep. <laughs> right. You got some sleep? I, actually, no, I didn't, because I think yeah. I ended up getting up at 8 o'clock the following day. Yeah, I think you and I both went to breakfast at, like, 8 in the morning. Yeah, yeah, so I didn't actually get some sleep. But I was I had some time in the morning, but that means that as very quickly in the afternoon vintage event, you start approaching in on, so do I want to win or do I want to eat? Right. Well, and we know a, where this group lies on that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a tough question to answer. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I kept mentioning, like, that every time you play a good deck, like an actual deck, like a deck that you didn't design, it's like, <laughs> it's like you end up doing well with it and you keep playing. Yeah, and it is such a shame. I ended up going, I think, 3-2 drop. Oh, uh, did you? Because I lost against Sam and then I lost against... Something that I can't even remember. Things were going pretty well, and none of my matches were blowouts, but at the same time, and round four and five, it's like, oh, this is really going to be bad if I end up going, like, losing in the last round, missing dinner, and then being right. just sad face frown. So yeah, that's the thing. Like, missing dinner at Gen Con is tragic. Yeah, it's real bad. Everyone goes to dinner together, and you miss it. Like, you're on your own. Good yeah. luck. Have fun with noodles and company. <laughs> oh. Yeah, right. It's like, I have made that play. It's terrible. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, really I don't bad. know. When uh, when Caffrey was in town, I joined him on a walk for food, and it was like 3.45 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> I had one option. That's steak and shake. Steak and shake? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I definitely understand the dilemma of, do I want to win or go eat? Well, I know that Sam was playing until, what, 11? So Sam Carlo made top eight and ended up facing J.R. Goldman Bergstein in the, the first round. <laughs> he pretty much crushed J.R. J.R. won the first game. Oh, did he? Yeah. Because yeah. I, I thought when he came to dinner, he just he, he was pretty down on having been blown out. I'm going to take uh, total credit for JR's success because we played... Did you convince him to play an actual deck? We played 10 games 
the night before, which is why I was up until 4 a.m. He had that deck Faden Control Slaver deck that's been popular recently, and I expected that deck to be really popular on mm. Friday, which is one of the reasons why I was playing Bug, because I felt that Bug had a really good matchup against it. Sure. And I think I beat him. We eventually stopped when he finally won a game, which oh. was like the 10th game. Yeah. And so we went back to the hotel room, and he's like, all right, I can't play that we got to build me a real deck. Jeff, do you have any lava darts? I was like, no. He's like, I can't, I, I can't play Landstill without lava darts. <laughs> he eventually ended up playing Landstill without lava darts, and he top-aided. So, yeah, we built the Landstill with mostly your cards, some of my cards, and at 3 in the morning, the night before the event. <laughs> yeah, worked out great. Right. But, I mean, to his defense, I mean, I think JR has a lot of experience playing Landstill. So oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, JR is an excellent control player. I, I yeah, think that Landstill was thing. definitely the better choice for him. He definitely audibled into the right deck. Yeah. So Sam beat JR. Yep. And then rolled through top four and then into the finals and lost to Bug. And Sam was playing the four-color... Delver list, pretty much. Yeah. He was, yeah, with gushes. And... Yeah, I, I've played around with that list a while ago. It didn't have uh, young pyromancers in it, and I, I know Sam's list did. But I mean, it's a it's a good list. I, I obviously could have won. I mean, he could have won, I think, but it's tricky. I mean, Bug is really dominant right now. It has good answers to a lot of the threats that are being played. Yeah, I mean, in, in playing against Bug, <laughs> you can't stumble at all. Cause right. Married. This this was the yeah. first tournament that I had played Abrupt Decay in. I had never played it, but, well, I guess I played it's it neat, right? in that previous tournament. This is the first deck that I've played that has played Abrupt Decay, and that card feels so good. When you have yeah. it in your hand, there are just so many threats you don't even need to worry about. It's right. like, oh, Oath? Yeah, gone. Well, Time you know, I realize gone. I've been playing... What have I been... Oh, we have um, Kevin Crone's four-color control list from last year's Champs in the box of proxies. So I, I play that every once in a while. It's got an abrupt decay in it. It's a card that I tutor for surprisingly often. Yeah. It... Because if I am if I think that my opponent is going to go for Time Vault, it's like, I'm just going to hold this abrupt decay in my hand. Which is <laughs> why Misdirection can is do whatever coming he back. Wants. Misdirection is sick against Abrupt Decay. Right. Um, I, fe- I feel like when Flusterstorm did, was printed, all of a sudden... Did you have a Misdirection get, uh, get you? Or... I Okay, so this, is, this was really weird. I was playing against a Bug Oath player. He did an early double tutor, so he vamped on my end step, and then he played Demonic during his mm-hmm. next turn. And I was like, well, he's got to have a Misdirection. Because it's the only thing that I think he would be tutoring for. I mean, I was playing four Abrupt Decays, so he had already seen them in, in, in game one. And we went back and forth a little bit. We were playing a lot of Magic. And he got down to two cards in hand, and then he played Time Vault. Nice. And I was okay. like, I like it. okay. And I Abrupt Decayed the Time Vault, and it died. And then a couple of turns later, I was obviously in the lead because he was not doing very much, and I won. And he had the misdirection in his hand the entire time. He just didn't wait? But he didn't wait for a card to to pitch to it, uh, which that seems like, <laughs> yeah, that was just, that was not right. It's um, not having the misdirection. Yeah. I, if you're going to get the misdirection, you got to wait until you can use the well, misdirection. Do you know that he tutored for the misdirection? I do, because we talked about oh. it. Oh, okay, yeah. And I think that he just got cold feet, and he thought that if he didn't play that then, he wasn't in the game. But even playing that, he still wasn't yeah. in the game. Yeah, you got um, it. Yeah, that's funny. I, I feel yeah, like you know, when... I, I haven't run into 
I mean, I know Misdirection is being played more. I just haven't run into it. Really. Yeah, when Flusterstorm was printed, every Misdirection turned into a Flusterstorm, and now all of a sudden, with Abrupt Decay everywhere, Misdirection is back. back. Right. Misdirection is awesome. Well, it's it's really good, especially against Bug. Like, if they're playing Null Rods or anything like that, like, you misdirect it to their Null Rod, and suddenly all your mana is back online. Or, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's just a lot of things that you end up profiting off of it. I was playing three Rods, and I felt like that was too many. That's interesting. Well, what what all did you play against? I mean, yeah, what, I, were you I guess, playing against fully powered decks, or were you playing against? Decks I played that, against a couple of fully powered decks, but at the same time, because there was so much bug, oh, they yeah. were decks that don't really hinge very hard on their power. Right. So and I guess if you're playing against kitchen sink vampires, you're probably not. Kitchen sink vampires, the null rots got sided out. Though ah. he ended up bringing in some sort of. Well, he probably had it in the main, but it was some sort of equipment that he could put on vampires that would. Oh, the. I know what you're talking about, because he played it on one of mine. Yeah, yeah, and right. I was like, Nelrod would stop that. But you know what also stops it? Killing every guy that can carry it. <laughs> you know what's great when you go to sideboard, and you're like, these cards are garbage, they're definitely coming out, what kind yeah, of... The, the yeah, the easy sideboard cards. Yeah, at the same time, the harder your sideboarding decisions, the better your matchup probably is. Yeah, that's true. Where, yeah, I, where I, do I, we start? Th- where do we start this? Oh, talking about how good Abrupt Decay is. Abrupt Decay is super right. good. Yeah, we, we've sort of just had this uh, stream of consciousness earlier about. I'm totally down with it. Digit Gen Con because none of us really played it. <laughs> well, I guess we did. But. So they had 63 people on Friday, 26 people on Saturday, which is like a drop by half, and then 14 people on Sunday, which I think the Sunday tournament was about how it's usually sized. Yeah, um, I would agree it's, with it's, that. It's usually small because people are starting to head home. It's always going to only be four rounds. And they only give packs for it, really. But. Well, didn't the Saturday Vintage Tournament intersect with the big Legacy Tournament that they had going? Or was that uh, Friday's? It, it may have. I know that there was a, a Legacy Tournament on Friday that started at 5. So if you, if you were scheduled to play in both, and I think Hazard was, you could get pumped out of the Legacy. That guy plays a lot of Magic at Gen Con. He is Hazard pumped. goes almost specifically for Magic. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. And, and it, no, it's it's great. But he he said that next year, if they really only have the one vintage schedule, that he probably won't go to Gen Con. Well, I guess we were surprised because we started this segment out talking about how big the event hall was, mm-hmm. and most of the space that was added to the event hall was taken off the taken Magic from, event hall, yeah, right. and it was not expanded elsewhere. So I think right. the Magic hall was about half the size this year. It seemed like there was just a lot less Magic going on. So you have you have one event, and then you have all these people show up, and then you know you're probably going to get more people to show up to your events you've scheduled them more than one day in advance. Right. Well, I think that was part of it. But actually, you know, the Magic Hall did not seem full. They always have extra tables, but, you know, there wasn't... It didn't seem to be like there was a whole lot of Magic being played in general in comparison to previous years. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, the vintage events were all two-thirds the size that they were last year and half the size that they were, you know, the year before, 2012 when Champs was still there. But Legacy was always a big draw at Gen Con. I mean, that was pretty well played. But I, mean, I don't know how large those tournaments were uh, offhand. But, I mean, they, they didn't seem to have a large Legacy. They didn't seem to have a large Modern or Standard tournament either. It's just, there didn't seem to be as much vintage, or sorry, as much Magic as in previous years yeah. overall. Yeah, yeah, I agree. 
we were speculating that, you know, Wizard seems to be turning up some of their, I don't know what to call it, the, the convention aspects of Grand Prix and stuff like that, where they're having speaker slots at, conve- or at the Grand Prix and stuff like that, where people actually go and have sessions that you could go and sit in on, you know, listen to them talk about what they do and with regards to magic and that sort of thing. And that, I mean, that's cool. I mean, it seems like Wizards is sort of pulling out of conventions like Gen Con and, and doing their own thing with the GPs and, and moving into some other conventions like PAX and the San Diego Comic-Con and everything else do that. Yeah, I guess it, it makes me really interested, and I said this last year too, I'm very interested to see what things are like next year. Right. And obviously they've already let Eternal Weekend move out of Gen Con. I mean, Champs, Vintage and Legacy Champs is now in Philadelphia. But, you know, it just sort of seems like Wizards is sort of putting things elsewhere. Like they're, they're putting their resources for magic elsewhere, which, yeah. you know, is their prerogative. That's yeah. for them. Ultimately, it's still their decision on how they market the brand and right. carry out the tournament scene. Right, yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, my plan would still be to go to Gen Con. I, I think the, there's so much more going on there and so much that I enjoy about Gen Con that I don't really worry about whether I'm playing Magic there or not. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a time to go and hang out and have good times with dudes and play some games and not get very much sleep. Yeah, right. Let's talk about eating things. The only thing I ate was punch burger. Really? Yep. Wait, that's not possible. Yep. Really? Yeah, I missed dinner on Saturday. Oh yeah, we went to that Vietnamese place and Jerry went to St. Elmo's. Yeah, and I was playing vintage with Adrian Reynolds. That's right, and you ended up <laughs> getting the hot dog at the dance. Yeah. The double hot dog deal. <laughs> not a euphemism. <laughs> I ate those hot dogs like a champ. I must say the Asian place was quite good. Uh, Wait, what was that place? It was called Rook. Was how, how do you spell it? Is it R-O-O-K? Like yeah. The bird or the castle? R-O-O-K, com is their website. Okay. The food was pretty good. It was a little bit of a walk from the convention center, probably about a little over a mile, but <laughs> it was very good. I had a pork belly steam bun. Ooh. And, Actually, uh, didn't you have I two had, of them? I, yeah, I had a pork belly steam bun as an appetizer, and then I had a Korean-style marinated beef banh mi, oh, okay. and then I had a pork belly steam bun as a dessert. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it was it was really good, actually. I would go there again. The I think it was Friday, the night of the vintage event, the scheduled vintage event. Afterwards, a couple of us went to a cocktail bar called Liberty. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Oh, that was after the... That uh, was after Punch Burger. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. And it was not great. <laughs> was it overpriced or not very good or both or what? Well, I mean, like, cocktails are, like, 10 to $12, which is fine. I mean, that's what I would expect to get a decent cocktail. The first one I had was, like, something with buttermilk, which was, like, better than you would think. They were like, it's not bad, try it. Or they are like, it's good, you should try it, whatever. So I did. And it was okay. And then something, I remember ordering something because it had coffee and orange-infused whiskey. Sounds great to me. Okay. And I guess the coffee infusion was like coarse ground coffee beans poured into the drink. Oh. That's not an infusion at all. No, which was dumb. It made it stupid (laughs) drink, and I was just angry. I I put instant coffee in this drink. (laughs) (laughs) You were so angry about that. No, it was dumb. <laughs> it was a foolish thing to do. It was not. They put dirt in my drink, basically. 
Yeah, it was not. I like. I don't even think I finished it, which is completely absurd for me. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's, that's um, a pretty heavy insult. Did, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they were trying to be a little more complex than they were able to be as yeah. a bar. I don't know. JR definitely ordered the best drink, and it was a shot of Fernet and a Miller High Life. <laughs> wow. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it was okay. I wouldn't go back. What did you? Because we went to the the bar at the uh, that that hipster hotel, um, Cerulean. That's it. Cerulean, that's right. Which we were sad to find out as they are no longer making their ginger beer. Ginger ale. Yeah. Yeah. A they, better bar though. The gentleman that was behind the bar. He knew what he was doing. That's that's what I wanted to ask you about. I was wondering if that that experience was better because I didn't have anything, but they seemed to. Yeah, no, the experience was better. He knew what he was doing. I mean, it sounded like he kind of did go above and beyond on some of the like garnishes and I don't know mixing things by like not just stuff out of a bottle. He infused stuff with like actually infused stuff. Hmm. And, Change things, and he put more work into it, and he knew what he was doing. Uh-huh. Sure. Uh-huh. The drinks were fine. Good to hear that Cerulean is doing well. Yeah. Chapel, were you there for the place on Thursday? The, for lack of a better word, Mexicanish tacos? place? The tacos? Yeah. Tacos and tequila? I was. That was pretty decent. I thought it was pretty but, good. Um, yeah, I think tacos are pretty good. What was that place, dude? How far was it from the convention center? Not far. It was by the Barcelona and the liquor store. Right, right. Okay, I remember oh, okay. now. Yeah, that's always out, but yeah. Because we wanted to be near the liquor store, because it right. was Thursday Obviously. night. That's how we go to Punchbury. Uh, Bakersfield. It's called Bakersfield. That's right. Ba- Bakersfield yeah, that was... Tacos? Yeah, yes. I think they may have one in Columbus, too. Bakersfield right. Tacos. I thought that the tacos were a little small. Their, their chips and salsa were really good. Eric got some chorizo queso that was... I thought quite delicious. That guy loves chorizo. He does, and it was good. I had some of it. There is one. What? what? There's one in the short north. Oh, Bakersfield. Yeah, we'll be dang. Yeah, you can hop yeah, on it's by there. Yeah, pretty good actually. I mean, it's you know like your new taco place where the tacos are. You know, like you just get one taco. The ingredients are higher quality. Right. Four bucks a taco is pretty heavy. Was the taco I... loaded with cheese? Uh, no. Good. My taco might have had some cheese on it. My taco was heavy on the salsa, which made it very spicy and overpowered everything else. Oh, I see. Didn't you not get a taco? You got a... Oh, yeah, I got a... Uh, tostada? It, yes, a tostada, mm. which I can't yeah. remember what was on. What my was tacos on. were pretty good. I, I remember getting an El Pastor. That's, like, my base taco. Yeah. What is an El Pastor? I think it's uh, ham and, like, pineapple. Or oh. pork and pineapple. Something. Mm. It's, it's just, like, a normal taco that's on most menus so you can use it to compare mm-hmm. neat moving on did anybody's i got my sandwich punched on wednesday <laughs> but it was you forgot it was it was the first day you forgot oh um, it was, cj got punched but apparently he's not in oh well, yeah Nat lied to me dick move I didn't lie to you i didn't know <laughs> i just Nat, assumed everyone was in the only person i know who's not in is jerry yeah, Nat and I made eyes at each other, and I sent him a text message, and I'm like, it's DJ in, and Nat just looks at me, and he's like, shakes his head yes. Wait, he shakes his head yes? How does that work? He nodded. I nodded. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I continued making eyes at him. <laughs> I had punched it, too, but I don't punch sandwich, because I think it's rude. 
I was the first one to get my hamburger at, at Punchburger on Wednesday, and I had to go and get ketchup, and I sat down, and JR immediately distracted me with a question, and I looked over at him, and then Sam punched my hamburger, but he didn't punch it very hard, so actually what he ended up doing was just spraying the ketchup very liberally all over my waffle fries, which was perfect. <laughs> I guess sometimes sandwich punch works out for people. Yeah, so I was totally fine with it. The burger was still delicious, and the uh, the waffle fries were great. Punch burger, good. That was my first time. My first time at Punch Burger. I like Punch Burger. Uh, That place last year too. We always have good food there. Like I I like their food, and it's certainly better than going to Steak and Shake and Wagon. Yeah, I'm totally down with Punch Burger. And you can get a beer there. Yeah, and the gentleman that bought us a pitcher of beer that was awesome. Yeah, Yeah. John Hammock. Yeah, he yeah. he he was the one who uh, who knocked me out on Friday. Uh, did he? Yeah, he uh, he ended up uh, in eleventh place, I think. Yeah, he pretty much just barely didn't make it. Yeah. Because we were talking during our match, and I said that we might be going to Punchburger, and told him where it was, and lo and behold, they were there when we got there. So yeah, right. It's the second time that we've run into people there that we've recommended that they go there. Yeah, we should start charging Punchburger for advertising. Well, they're they're usually pretty good on Twitter. If you mention, yeah, I know that I know that you've had Twitter yeah. dialogue with them. Oh, they seem like cool people. Really. I'm totally down with them. I'll, I'll yeah. support them. I'll keep on shouting them out and keep on eating their food. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be there next year. Oh, absolutely. And now I want to go to this Bakersfield taco place. <laughs> it was good. I would recommend it. Yeah, good. Did you guys go anywhere else? I think that's all the days. I had not been to the Ram before. Oh yeah. But I don't think that there's a whole lot to. That that place is very impressive because some company like sort of basically rents it out every year and yeah. decorates all the walls and rewrites a themed menu and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so that was interesting. I mean, the food was food. It was good. I enjoyed it. I had never been there before. Apparently, everyone else had. Mm. Yeah, I, I the, the greatest chicken fingers of all time, supposedly from the have gone up velocity. in price. The yeah. high velocity sports bar. They yeah. were okay. They, oh, did, they did, did raise the price. Did thinking. you have them, Chapel? Because I didn't have any this year. I did, yeah. They were okay. I, d- I did continue the streak of going to Cafe Potashu every morning for breakfast. Oh, yeah, I got it. Yeah, because yeah, uh, the second day there, I got the croissant French toast, and Ooh. it changed the entire way that I look at breakfast. Changed the French toast game. Everything <laughs> is different now. And I came yeah. home, and I'm like, Sarah, we've got to learn how to make croissant French toast. I assume it's basically cut up some croissant and put it in some egg batter. So what we're doing is we take the croissant and then we flatten it between two cutting boards so you get the nice flat thing. And then you stab it with a fork a lot <laughs> so, so that it, it can get the, the French toast stuff inside. And then you just cook it like French toast. And the right. texture of the croissant really adds a whole new level to the French toast. Because, I mean, when you make it with regular bread, the center sort of kind of just kind of mush. The croissant really makes something happen there, and it's, I mean, it'll kill you, but it's delicious. Right, you're basically cooking butter and more butter. Yeah, it's, it's that, yeah. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Nothing at all. <laughs> but they served it with, uh, I think, roasted pecans and a little right. bit of powder, a dust, dusting of powdered sugar. Delicious. Amazing. Yeah. Change breakfast forever for me. They also had as a well one of their omelets and as an option they had jowl bacon, mm. which is just seems like a thicker, a little bit fattier piece of bacon. Everyone was raving about that. It was really good. <laughs>
It's happened again. You've wasted another perfectly good hour listening to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat. I'm Josh Chappell. And we hope you'll join us next time for more Serious Vintage. Take a little trip. Take a little trip. Take a little trip.